Amen. Thank you, Brother Dennis. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1. The other evening I mentioned the fact that uh, looking back over the years that I could remember hearing Crystal Mills, where's Crystal? She's back there. Hearing her dad sing before she was ever born, I'd be there preaching revival meetings, and he was the he was the minister of music back before he had surrendered to preach. And uh, anyway, I was talking about that, and and I happened to think this week, and especially in light of the message this morning, but I happened to think about a there was a little ditty that Coke had in 1971 about uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. And somebody then took that song, I think, and made the song I'd like to teach the world to sing. Well, way back then, did you? I think they called it the Coke Chorus. Do you remember that? You remember it. All right. Well, I do too. And it had something to do with the fact that, you know, the world thinks about Coke. It's the real thing. Well... Whoever made this Christian chorus out of it, it might have been Rick, I I don't know, but somebody did, and uh, emphasizing the fact that Jesus is the real thing. Well, you know, we live in a world where it's really difficult sometimes to tell what's what's real from what's not, you know, regardless of what you're talking about, whether it's a product or whatever it is. Well, you know, sometimes we have that problem whenever it comes to to Christians, how do you tell? How do you tell uh, what a Christian is? Uh, what do you do? Well, we could all make a list, couldn't we? And uh, in fact, I did that just while ago, sitting there. I was just jotting down some thoughts that came to my mind. You know, uh, what? Who is a Christian? What is a Christian? Well, we could say it's somebody you know that attends all of the services. I mean, man, there. They're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever. Uh, somebody, you know, that they not only attend all of the services, but they, they they wear a suit and a tie. You know, well, boy, they're serious about this. They must be a Christian. Or they carry a great big black Bible, you know, King James Version only. And by the way, that's what you ought to do, uh, have only that version. Uh, and it's probably, if you're an old-timer, you know, it's probably a Schofield. After all, you couldn't be a preacher without a Schofield Bible. At least that's kind of the way some people thought. Uh, not only that, but let's say you do all of those things, plus the fact that you tithe. You even watch the Gaithers on television every single week. I mean, you won't miss, you won't miss that program. You have a bumper sticker that says, Honk! If you love Jesus, I wish they'd quit making that one. And you refuse to send Christmas cards that has Xmas on it. Well, you know, you got to be a Christian if you do all of those things. But, you know, seriously, it might not be as easy as you think. Somebody said many years ago, and it's worse now, they said that the church is getting so worldly and the world is getting so churchy that it's hard to know the difference. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that. So 
this morning, I, I want you to think about, well, what are the characteristics of Christians? You, listen, you need to know that. And I say that because you, you don't need to know it for the sake of you trying to judge everybody else. You need to examine yourself, as the Bible tells us to do, because I don't think there's ever been so much confusion about what it means to be a Christian. Several years ago, I, uh, I, I, someone wrote a book, a fellow by the name of Ray Stedman, and, and the title of the book was uh, Authentic Christianity. And I have no idea what the book says, but I never forgot the title of that because it just struck a note with me that we need to think about that authentic Christianity, because today more than ever there's a need for people to understand what authentic Christianity is. And I say that because so many are faking it whenever it comes to their Christianity. Reader's Digest several years ago had an article in there about a bishop who had gone to have a cup of tea with one of the parishioners. And so he said to the man as they sat there enjoying their cup of tea, he said, I'm glad to see in what comfortable way that, that you're living. I, you know, he was just so excited about it. And the man responded, oh, Bishop, if you want to know how we really live, you'd need to come when you're not here. And, you know, sadly, that's the way it is with a lot of people, you know, because they're, they're, they're just faking it and they, they're, they're putting on a good front for other people to see. So we need to understand the marks of authentic Christianity. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we could look at this because there are so many things that could be said. I think one of the best ways to understand this is to study First John. If you've never really studied the little letter of First John, you need to do so. The word no is used 38 times in that short little letter. And, and, and it certainly summed up when John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of Christ, that ye may know that you have eternal life. That little letter is written that you might know, that you might identify what authentic Christianity is. But that's not the only way that we can consider the marks of an authentic Christian. And so here this morning, I want to look at it from a different perspective. Colossians chapter number 1 and beginning in verse number 3, Paul says, we give thanks to God and to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all of the saints, uh, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you, as it is in all of the world, and bring, bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who for, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us, your love in the Spirit. Now, 
Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae for the sake of trying to, to correct certain false teachers that had entered in. And the false teachers are trying to convince them that the pure gospel that they had heard and they had received was really not enough. And so some of the false teachers wanted to add something to that. In other words, they wanted to say, well, yeah, that's good as far as it goes, but you've also got to observe certain days and do this and do that. Another false teacher had come along and he'd try to take something away from it. And so these people were in danger of being confused about the most important thing in all of the world, and that's the gospel of Christ. And so Paul is writing, trying to warn them about adding to or subtracting from the gospel. Now notice in verse number 2, the people that he addresses this letter to. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. So this is who he's talking to. He's writing this to Christian people. And then notice that he gives thanks for three things about them. And the reason he did so, because these things served as evidence of the fact that they are saints and faithful brethren, as he says in verse number 2. Now, before we look at these evidences here, I want to mention that there is another section of Scripture that mentions the same three things. I've preached from it many times over the years, and that's First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3. You don't need to necessarily turn there, but you might jot that down in the margin of your Bible because there Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he makes it very clear in his letter that he considered that to be the model church for other churches. This would be the ideal church. This would be what every church ought to look like. And he mentions three things there. He speaks about their work of faith. He speaks about their labor of love. And he speaks about their patience of hope. So you'll notice that he mentions here faith, love, and hope. And those are exactly the three things that he mentions here in our text this morning. Each one of those he deals with. And again, remember, it's one thing to say I'm a Christian. It's another thing to have evidence of it. And so if, 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 if we make the claim without having the evidence, we end up doing great harm to the cause of Christ. Notice verse number 4, how it begins. He says, since we heard of your we heard, though. We heard of, you see. Somebody's talking. And they're talking about the church, and it's not gossip. This church had made such a deep impression on other people that they're talking about it. I mean, it is spread beyond the gates of the city. It is spread by the travelers, and everywhere they go, they're talking about this church. They had the testimony that it was a church of faith, a church with love, and a church with hope. 
You see, Paul uses those three things to give evidence as to whether or not it's the real thing, whether or not it is authentic Christianity. Notice he begins, verse number 4, he said, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now to understand that, you need to realize that there is no merit in faith itself. Some people have the idea, you know, that, uh, well, I, you know, I, I am a person of faith. I, I have strong faith. I am a positive thinker. I don't look on the negative side of things, you know. Well, you know, that might be well and good for some things, but it's not so much your faith. It is the object of your faith that really matters. Because just saying, you know, I am a person of faith doesn't mean that you are. It requires a faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be faith in the baptismal waters. It can't be faith in the church membership. It can't be faith in your good works. It can't be faith in your heritage. It has to be faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, or there is no merit in it. And this faith, this saving faith that we're talking about, changes us. It controls us. It comforts us. And James made it very clear that although we are not saved by our works, that saving faith does produce works. We can brag all that we want about being a New Testament church, but we can't say we've got the real thing unless we are a people of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. You see, not only, not only are we born again as a result of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God demands that we walk by faith each and every day, that our manner of life is to be dependent upon our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says here to this church, he says, everybody is talking about your faith in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, as though that were the only thing important. He goes on and he says, and of the love which ye have to all the saints. So unless there is love for the saints, there is no evidence of our faith in the Savior. If we don't love one another, there's no evidence that we know Christ as our Savior. You know, you go through the New Testament and over and over and over again, this fact is mentioned, the need for us to love one another. In fact, there in John, you'll remember Jesus himself said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, in that ye love one another. Now remember, he's talking to the first church. He's talking to those men that he had personally chosen and put together as the first church. And whenever he talks about their love, he's not talking about their love for the world in general. He's talking about their love for one another. That's what he says. By this shall all men know. In other words, listen, people are watching They're observing your ways, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, in that ye have loved one for another. 
So we can't boast about being authentic Christians unless we are a people of faith. We can't boast about being authentic Christians unless we love who? One another. Notice what he says here. He says love to all the saints, not just some of them. You know, some people are easy to love. <laughs> and there's some people that's not even likable. I mean, we can all think of people that we we love them, but we don't like them. I mean, you know, because they can... <laughs> After almost 50 years of preaching, I still almost say some things that would not be appropriate. <laughs> I don't want it to ever slip out, but a lot of times they're, they're just people that you love them, but they can be so offensive in so many different ways. And in here, where he says that you have love to all the saints. Remember, we're all different, right? All of us are different, and different in different number of ways. And there are people that have charming personalities, and then there are those of us that don't have charming personalities. There are cultural differences. Remember, he says, you have a love to all of the saints, now, all of the saints were not in Colossae, so this reaches out even beyond the city limits. If somebody was a child of God, they loved them. You know, today it almost seems like that we have compromised if we talk about loving somebody that is of a Another denomination, although we're not a denomination, we're Baptists, we're not a denomination at all, but nevertheless we think of it in that way. And a lot of times, you know, people say, well, you ought not to love those people that are, you know, Presbyterian or something like that. Well, if they're a child of God, you better learn to love them. You better not let that get in the way. Now, that doesn't make them right about their beliefs. But if they give evidence that they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we need to love them. The problem is so many times we let our differences divide us because even with the ranks of us Baptists, you know, there are all kinds of different Baptists. And even among the independent Baptists, we all have our differences. Some of you vote for different parties, believe it or not, than others do. There are some of you that root for different teams. You know, it is really amazing how upset some people can get whenever you talk bad about their cowboy. Well, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean now, don't you? You just mentioned that you don't like a particular team, and it's almost like they put, you know, they're going to write your name down. And for future reference, you're not on the friends list anymore. How could how could you be a friend and not root for their team? Well, you know, that list goes on and on. But let me tell you, folks, listen. Only in an atmosphere of love can any church or family function as it should. And if you don't believe that, when you get home, read 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 where it talks about the characteristics of love. You ought to read that over and over and over and over again. It is not a definition of love, but rather it is a declaration of what love looks like. And so we need to look at that and we need to ask ourselves, you know, is this evident in my life? 
Is there evidence that I am an authentic Christian because I love all of the saints? Some of you have heard me say many times that as Christians we are called to live a miracle. In other words, we are called upon to live a standard of life that exceeds what we are able in and of ourselves. We we can't do it. Whenever the Bible talks about loving your enemies, whenever the Bible talks about forgiving those people that have hurt you, there are certain instances where that is absolutely humanly impossible for us to do without God's help. Some of you here have been hurt and hurt deeply by someone else, maybe even a member of your own family. And you feel in your heart, I need to forgive them, but I just can't do it. Listen, you're right. You can't. But God can. God can enable you. And the key to this has to do with your relationship to the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, is... Love, joy, and peace, and six other graces that are mentioned there in the book of Galatians. So the only way that any of us can live out the authentic Christian life is by living in dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our life. Are you an authentic Christian? Is there evidence? Well, if so, then there is a faith in Christ And there is a love for the saints, but it doesn't end there. Now that made, you know, that would have made a wonderful message right there. I mean, just any one of these qualities would be, it seems, enough for Paul to emphasize that this is the kind of church that it ought to be. But he doesn't stop there. In addition to their faith, in addition to their love, I want you to notice verse number 5. He mentions hope. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now, let me, let me tell you. By hope, he does not mean wishful thinking as we use the word today. You know, today we say, well, you know, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. I hope my team gets to the World Series next year. I hope a certain person is elected as president. I hope, and, and that, that's just, you know, wishful thinking. But when we talk about the biblical kind of hope, it has to do with a confident expectation. In, in fact, you might think of faith and hope meaning the same thing with hope being applied to the future. Because hope is faith in what is expected in the future. And it enables us to look beyond this veil of tears and this troubled world that we live in. It enables us to look out into eternity and the things that are not seen. And let me tell you, somebody's maybe thinking, well, yeah, it's so nice to have that kind of hope. Let me tell you, it's not just nice. It is necessary. 
It's necessary to your happiness for one thing. How in the world can you be happy whenever you're uncertain about the future, when you're uncertain about eternity? I'm so glad that he has given us a hope that is steadfast and sure, a hope that is an anchor for the soul, a hope that cannot be moved. And our happiness is rooted and grounded in that. But also not only our happiness, our holiness. And that's why First John chapter 3, and it talks about in verse number 3, the fact that we have a hope that one of these days that we're going to be with Christ, we're going to see Christ, we're going to be like Christ. And he says, And every man that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. You see, hope has a purifying effect because we know through our hope that one day we're going to stand before our Lord and give an account for the way that we live. And knowing, believing with all of our heart that He's coming again and we're going to Him, believing that has a way of purifying our life and making us not only happy but also holy, but it also makes us helpful. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul gives a list of the difficulties that he encountered. He talks about the fact, you know, that he died daily, as it were. His life was in jeopardy, and he's gone through all of these hardships, and he was cast down and so forth. And we get down to verse 17, and we're wondering to ourselves, how in the world can a man survive great difficulties like that? And he tells us in, in unmistakable language, it's because that his focus is on things above, the things that are not seen. That was the thing that kept him going. Let me tell you, that'll keep you going when nothing else will, is knowing the best is yet to come knowing that God's people never meet for the last time, knowing that one of these days we're going to be in the very presence of Christ who suffered and died for us. I don't think most people have ever thought about how important hope is. They think about how important faith is, right? We write songs about, you know, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. And we write songs about, you know, love one for another. But for, for some reason, a lot of folks just, you know, never pay that much attention as to how important hope is. And it is so sad in the light of all that's going on in the world today to see a professing Christian just moping about like God is dead. How sad. That remember, others are looking, others are talking. And they're going to look at how we respond to these situations. And if we have any hope of reaching them, we have to show them that we live in hope. There's no hope of reaching people where there is no hope. Because they're watching us and we can, listen, we can fake it for a while. We can pretend that everything is going well. We can pretend we love people. We, I started to say we do it all the time. We probably do it a lot more than we want to admit, don't we? 
We pretend to love them. We pretend to have great faith in God. We pretend in all of these things. And as long as everything's going good, you know, we do a good job of it. But boy, listen, whenever, when trouble comes and we're under the gun and we're put to the test, it's then that we fail so miserably. And remember, the world is watching. What about it? Are you an authentic Christian? Now remember, when we talk about these qualities, we need to understand that in each instance, there is an action that is produced by this particular thing. That's what he was saying to the church in Thessalonica. In fact, whenever, whenever the Apostle John commended the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter number 2, just before he took them to the woodshed and rebuked them, he mentions something about the good qualities in that church, and lo and behold, what do you suppose that it is? Well, it has to do with their works and their labor and their patience. The same three things evident in the church at Thessalonica, where he says there, I know about your what your works of faith in other words listen faith works if it doesn't it's not real faith not only does faith work but love will labor you, you see love will cause calls us to go above and beyond the call of duty we work as it were even to the point of exhaustion because love is involved love labors faith works and listen And hope produces patience. How does that work? Well, we can be patient in knowing that whatever it is we're going through, it's not the final chapter. It's not over. The best is yet to come, and we can live every day believing that even though that we don't understand it, whatever it is, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. In other words, whenever these things exist, there's evidence that we are authentic Christians. Naturally, when these things are non-existent, there's no evidence that we really are. To talk about being an authentic Christian, when there is no faith and no love and no hope, is unthinkable. It's ridiculous. It's, it's sheer folly. We ought to never expect anyone to believe that we are really Christians when those things are absent in our life. So the question I present to you this morning, and I challenge you, to answer, answer it with the information that you get from God's Word. It's not a matter of how you feel about yourself. Somebody says, well, you know, I, do, I feel like I'm saved. I, I feel like I'm going to heaven. I don't want what you got if all it is is feelings. There needs to be a steadfast hope that's based on the Word of God. 
Are you an authentic Christian according to the standard of God's Word? Is there faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that works? Is there a love that causes you to even go beyond the call of duty and you extend yourself to where you labor in the things of the Lord? Is there a hope that produces patience in your life? Patience not only with one another, but patience as to the course of this world, the problems and the difficulties in this world. Please don't try to judge your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents. You don't judge me, I won't judge you. But every single one of us needs to be honest and to examine ourselves. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith or not. Whenever you've looked at all of the evidence, can you honestly say, indeed, I have reason to believe, although I am not a perfect Christian, I'm an authentic Christian. I've got the real thing. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we pray this morning that you'll help each and every one of us to take an honest look at ourselves, to examine our lives in the light of your word. Lord, we know that we can't do this alone. We know that we need the help of the Holy Spirit because it's so so very easy for us to deceive ourselves. And so help us this morning to really be honest as we evaluate our spiritual condition. Lord, it's so easy for us to say and to try to convince others that we've got great faith when deep in our heart we know that we're driven by doubt. It's so easy for us to talk about being a person who loves people. And yet all we seem to do is to complain and criticize the saints of God. It's so easy for us to pretend like we have great hope. And then when the election doesn't go our way, we wring our hands in despair like there is no hope. God, help us to be authentic Christians and that others might see the difference that Jesus makes and have a desire for what we have. For we beg it in His name. Now as we stand and as we sing, if God is speaking to your heart, would you come? Those awaiting baptism, if you